Welcome new and returning listeners to Gallon to Go Unplugged. I'm excited to have Callie Williams-Yost, the founder and CEO of Flex Strategy Group, as our guest. Callie and her company have been at the forefront of redefining workplace dynamics by offering innovative solutions for enhancing performance and engagement through flexible work strategies. A few of her many notable clients are Con Edison, Freddie Mac, the United Nations, and Stanford University. One of Kelly's many prestigious recognitions includes her being cited as one of Forbes' 40 women to watch over 40. I first heard about Kelly through my friend Pam, and I was immediately impressed by Kelly's foresight and the need for fundamental change in outdated workplace systems and her valiant efforts to empower others as outlined in her book, Tweak It, Make What Matters to You Happen Every Day. Hey, Callie, how are you? I am great, Kimberly. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on Unplugged. I am very grateful. Let's dive right into our conversation today. So you have been a trailblazer in advocating for high-performance flexibility in the workplace for decades. How was your career journey, including your time as a commercial banker, how has it shaped your views and led you to establish the Flex Strategy Group? I love that you would ask this question because if I were you, I'd ask that question. Like, how did you figure this out like 30 years ago? Because so many people I run into since COVID feel like this is a brand new thing. And it really isn't. What I do is I help organizations and individuals perform at a high level, working flexibly across workplaces, spaces, and time. Okay, That's how I describe what I do. That is exactly what got me interested in this back gosh, the early 90s at this point, when I was a banker, I was put in charge of sort of manager and training because I was in my mid-20s. I was put in charge of the, sort of the day-to-day oversight of a group of people who were in my banking group that we lent to closely held companies. And what that means is there were no financial statements that were audited against which to lend them money. That banker-customer relationship was really important. So in my kind of newbie manager and training perspective, it just seemed to me that it was super important to keep all the bankers we could. And I observed that there were a number of bankers who would leave and take that relationship with them because they could not find flexibility in the way they work. So I thought let's just let them work from home a couple days a week, or let's reduce their schedule and their client base so they can continue to work. Well, you can imagine in the early 90s, before we had cell phones or laptops, my leadership wasn't 100% sure what I was even saying. But to me, it was more important to keep the relationship and the banker than it was to lose them and start from scratch, which is what you always had to do. So again, I just had it in my mind that if we gave flexibility, these people and the organization could perform at a high level versus just 
either they come into the office or they leave. Fast forward 30 years later, this vision or this desire to figure out what that takes has guided me and motivated me all these years. And I did ultimately leave banking and in 1993 went to business school to get an MBA and begin to chart my path. And I did find one of the few organizations that were starting to look at flexibility and the strategies that could make organizations effective in this area. And I started working for Families and Work Institute. And then from there, I started my own firm because I saw that it needed to be executed in a way that I wasn't seeing happening anywhere else. And so that's why the Flex Strategy Group was founded in 1998. And the rest is history. And here's we here we sit today. You are truly a badass, I have to say, because <laughs> it's so brave to pioneer like you did in an area that no one was really aware of or on board with at the time. It's much easier for someone to say they're into that topic now of flexibility and hybrid and work from home than you starting it before it was even on the minds of people. And how incredible it was that you had the foresight even tap into that as a thing at that time. That's just incredible. Thank you, Kimberly. But I will say it helps when you find fellow travelers along the journey. And so I was lucky enough each step of the way to either find somebody who also saw the vision and wanted to try to figure it out in partnership with me. And also those really visionary leaders and organizations that could see the future coming and just thought, okay, we got to change this. You know, They weren't forced to do it. They chose to make that change happen. And so I am forever grateful to those leaders who I had the opportunity to partner with to help them reimagine how, when, and where work is done. And I always, I use this example when COVID hit, I had one of my clients, <laughs> she sent me an email and all it said in the subject line was seamless. That's all it said. And because they had done all this work before COVID, their switch over to primarily fully remote was like no big deal right? Because they had all this, the, the processes and practices in place and they just made that shift. We started to come out of COVID. They just recalibrated back to more time on site. It wasn't just me alone. It was really just those, all those wonderful visionary people who partnered along the way and, you know, helped inform what I know today. I love it. You must have presented it though in a pretty, you know, confident way for them to come on board. And that's cool. I love that. And the simplicity of the one word seamless. Exactly. To your point, because you brought up COVID, you know, and I'm sure people would be very curious because you were so ahead of that and that became more mainstream. Do you think that COVID helped or hurt the progress of the widespread flexible work environment? Another amazingly great question, Kimberly, because had you asked me at the beginning of COVID, I was really optimistic. I thought for sure now leaders are all going to just step back and say, all right, let's make this thing work. Granted, we're in a pandemic right now, but when we get out of this, for sure, the way our people are have operated for X months now, years, has informed some things that we could learn from and, you know, let's now optimize it. I have to be honest with you. I am somewhat baffled by the number of leaders who still kind of think everything's the way it was. And maybe this is just a little more remote work around the sides and 
if they just say, come back to the office three days a week, we're done. That I'm still trying to figure out what's not clicking. My sense is that for them, COVID was something they had to adapt the way they worked to, but didn't have to fundamentally rethink the way they were because that was just a small part of their work career, which was still mostly informed by a place-based model. And, but see, the problem is you have all these employees now who, for them, this experience has transformed the way they think about the, how they work. And so right now you have a situation where leaders in many organizations and their workforce are not aligned in terms of how, when, and where they expect to work. And leaders are going to have to catch up at some point and meet their employees halfway and figure out the way they're going to operate next. But again, that is not happening as quickly as I thought it would. And so to answer your question, well, I know ultimately it will change things because the workforce is not going to go back to what they did before. It's just going to take a lot more time than I thought. And that's fascinating. I have to say it's comforting to hear you say that because I would have bet everything like, yay, COVID. The one good thing is it's going to force this to be real. It's going to force it to be like mainstream and faster to take. And I was so shocked like you that it hasn't. So it's comforting to say that you are also surprised. And I wonder because of the point you made, which is such an excellent point for the employees, it's personal, right? As an employee, I took it personally effect in my life, but to the leaders, it's business. So it kind of does make sense. I totally got it from what you said. Now I see a little bit more why they wouldn't see it the same way because they're looking at it from different ways. Exactly. They have a different context. I call it a clash of contexts right now. Oh, I love that. And our new research really helped amplify why employees have a totally different context from what leaders are talking about. And so, for example, in our research, because you asked me to share some highlights, so I, people can go to my website, flexstrategygroup.com, and get the full report and you get all the detailed findings. But high level, what we basically found is employees believe that they are already doing all of the things that leaders are saying will be done better if they're back on site more than they are now. So they believe, even with more flexibility than they had pre-COVID, that they were as, if not more productive, they were as, if not more innovative, they communicated as well, if not better, and were more engaged. When they are on site, they believe they are interacting with each other more, if not the same, as they did before COVID. So when you have a leader saying, oh, you have to come back on site more because we need you to be more productive. We need you to communicate better. We need you to interact more effectively. We need you to be more engaged. They literally believe I am doing that. I, I don't understand. Now, that being said, that does not mean there are not some performance-related aspects of work that maybe did get lost in the shuffle and that leaders aren't wrong to say, we have to look at these things like innovation, okay? Maybe they don't think there is quick to market for certain innovations. Okay, let's say that is true. Developing younger talent, knowledge transfer. I have heard, and I do know with some of our clients, they really actually do have data that shows there isn't maybe the level of competency on the part, especially younger workers, that they need to address. But to say that is all going to magically happen by just 
being in your seat at the office more days, that's the part where you lose people. Okay. What ultimately has to happen is leaders have to go to their workforce and say, here are the things specifically related to our work that we are concerned are not happening. And then work with your workforce and your employees to say, okay, so how now, how, when, and where do we do these things best? What matters when we're together on site? What matters when we're not? And how are we still doing these things when we're not in the same four walls? That's the next level of conversation and problem solving that we have to engage in. But that's what's not happening right now because we're just locked in this battle of wills between our perspectives that don't align. And that's what has to change. Now, do you think sharing that data with leaders will help in any way, you know, with them seeing? Because sometimes it takes something like data and figures to make an impact depending on who the leader is. And such a fair point you made that it needs to be addressed situationally. And by the way, you're my hero champion for this. So, <laughs> so you know, my goal with this research is to do just that. Honestly, I think we spend a lot of time talking about the tug of war we're currently locked in and not really looking at why we're in it. I think we kind of tend to blame each other. Like you're wrong. You're wrong. My goal is to just say, this is the perception This is the belief that people are bringing to this discussion, whether it's right, whether it's wrong. Again, it just is. And so if you can know your people, your workforce genuinely believes that they are already doing what you're telling them, they could be doing better if they're on site more often. If you are telling them you're going to be more productive, you're going to be able to communicate better, you're going to be more innovative, you're going to be more engaged, you're going to interact with each other better but they think they're already doing it. No wonder they're looking at you and say, I don't understand. And then when they show up on site and they're doing the same work they did when they're sitting in their homes remotely and did not have to commute, you'll lose them. This is where leaders have to be willing to challenge their perception of where performance and work happens to say, yeah, there maybe are some things that I think really would benefit from us being more in person, but I need to understand that my workforce really feels they've been successful. So how do we now come together and meet in the middle and look at all the specific aspects of our work to really begin to problem solve with each other and say, all right, you know, maybe individually that was working for you, but collectively we now need to think of some different parameters that we need to work in with each other that are going to achieve these business objectives. That's what's not happening. And my hope is with this data, leaders can begin to sort of depersonalize their frustration with their employees and say, this is honestly what they believe. And from that belief, how do we now meet in the middle? I hope that that happens. Do you find yourself with the data then? Like, are you, you know, like your clients, of course, they're interested in the data, but are there some companies that you kind of like follow yourself and you go, they would really benefit by listening to the research and the data. And then you reach out and share it with a key person from that company. You know, I do my best. Actually, it's podcasts like this that are really helpful to me. It helps me get the word out. So it's funny with anything, right? You have to first be open to seeing it to be able to take the data in. Does that make sense? And if you really believe, if you are the CHRO of an organization and you truly believe the answer is to send an email telling people they just need to be on site three days a week and then you're done, my data is not going to mean anything to you because you're going to be like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't know why you're talking to me about this. I've moved on. It's the leader who's wise enough to say, 
hey, you know what? What we've been trying to do for the last couple of years, that is not working, okay? I'm pretty much finding that our mandates are either being ignored, are making the people who have to be on site to do their job, are making them mad. They're frustrating people who show up and end up doing all the things they were doing in their living room, remotely not commuting. They're doing the same things here. I am now being forced to track people like a babysitter, which is, of course, making them focus on how they're going to gain that system more than doing their work, or they're leaving. Okay, so that's the leader who's going to be willing to say, okay, so maybe there's something I'm missing here. That's when I can swoop in and say, perhaps what you're missing is that your people and your workers think they're already doing all the things. It is now your opportunity to step back and say, okay, what am I actually trying to say to them and get them involved in helping me solve? Which could be things like, we are not as fast to market as we need to be. We are not coordinating as much as we can. And you know what? Quite frankly, the technology we adopted in COVID, it was not adopted maybe as efficiently and effectively as possible. So there could be some improvement there that could be made. We need to train our young people. How are we making sure we're developing them? And then put it back to the workforce and work with you to say, how, when, and where are we going to do that in this new reality? That is an excellent point you just made. Like, we weren't prepared for COVID, right? So, like, the work from home hybrid situation that we all kind of Frankenstein together at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Of course, that wasn't probably like the smoothest, best way. So, exactly to your point, okay, now that we have a chance. Let's smooth it all out, do it right, and make it in a way that can be great. And you know, Kimberly, we don't talk about that enough. We don't actually say to each other, in fact, people always ask me to comment on research. I lo- I'm happy to, but I want to always have a disclaimer at the top of all research that's come out since COVID that says, this research probably reflects a disruption in the way we have worked and historically pandemic crisis driven way of operating. So unless you can tell me that this was done in a thoughtful, deliberate way, and now we're studying it, I don't know how valid it is. It only reinforces that this is the way we're working in a disruptive pandemic driven way. I think we all have to keep remembering this is not reflecting what a well thought through intentional, flexible work strategy looks like. It doesn't. Very fair. Okay, so we touched on COVID. So kind of in that same way, right? AI is another hot topic. How has AI so far affected that situation of a flexible work environment? I think right now it's kind of sucking all the air out of the conversation. I think it's just dominating the conversation in general about what's going on in the workplace. The way I like to explain it, I see AI as the how. So if the question we need to be asking is, what do we need to do and how, when, and where do we do that best? AI would be the how, would be an enabler of that high performance working in a flexible, dynamic way. And so I think it's important to look at it, in my opinion, and following the experts on this that I follow and I think are really thoughtful about it, this is going to take a lot of years to execute. I believe that it has to be part of a flexible work strategy execution. What I say to leaders is, have you landed the plane on when and where your people are working? Because I don't think you have in many cases. So why don't you put all that together 
And as you are thinking about where your people are working and when they're working, which is another aspect of this, when are you working independently? When are you working in real time with each other? What are the tools that are supporting that collaboration and coordination? That's when you get a chance to say, all right, what role can AI play in this? And at the same time, begin to even just further improve the execution of just your general tech tools around communication and coordination that, I mean, they're already, they're not great either. Okay. So make it part of a holistic reimagining of work, a holistic setting of the model that people will be working within. I think to silo it off into its own thing really does separate it from the way people are going to be operating, the way they're going to be working with each other and coordinating with each other across all these different dimensions. So make it part of the whole. I love this story. Recently, one of my clients is in charge of an office and he tasked his staff level employees to think through how, when, and where they are going to work most effectively. And he gave it to them first versus to have his managers do it. So he thought it'd be interesting to see what they came up with. And he said, what was so interesting is they got very intentional about it. And they were very into thinking about where they'll be most effective, when they'd be most effective being together in person versus when they wouldn't and what work they're doing when they are together. And he said, the other piece of this that was interesting is they're so excited about the new AI system that they're putting in place. And they're thinking about how it supports all this. And I thought, see, now that is what we want. We don't want some task force over here talking about AI as it relates to every job. You want to be teams, like thinking about sort of, okay, what does this mean for the way we work? And how do we make sure we're, we're thinking about it and integrating in, it into this model that we can then coordinate within every day? And so that's what I hope we see more of. I really like that, that he thoughtfully reversed it yeah. and did employees like almost like a reverse pyramid type of thing. That was really smart. Exactly. And they delivered, you know, here this is, and I thought was great about that story is these are the young employees that we sometimes think are so resistant, you know, and just like, I don't want to commit. It's like, that's not it at all. They just want to A, have a voice in it and B, they want to make sure all the different ways they're working have a reason behind them, like a purpose behind it. And there's an intentionality there. And when given the permission and some structure, right, there was a, some structure to how they thought it through, they brought it. But I wish I could bottle that and say, hey, why would you not want this throughout your whole organization? And, you know, the truth is in this organization, this is one business line, okay? And this business line is figuring this out the way it matters for their business, but I've got three, four other business lines with different types of work that are coming up with different solutions. So that's the other piece of it is you now have teams in different business lines adapting what their flexible work model looks like, but they're engaged in that process. They own it. And ultimately for that organization, it will roll up into a set of best practices that they can continue to reinforce and optimize. Well, that's amazing because what does everyone always say these days? They want to feel heard. Yeah. If you go to the employees and they feel heard, and to your point, add on to that enthusiasm, you now vested them into being part of the solution of how you can make it work. Well, that's just like win, win, win. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you also have the senior leaders get an opportunity to explain why it matters. Some of the senior leaders, I say, okay, I want to be in this industry. When I hear you talk, 
I want to go back. <laughs> so, and because they're so impassioned as to why they believe these certain aspects of the work that is done benefits from being in the same room with each other. And, you know, they'll say things like, I want you to develop to be the best professional that you can be. And that is helped by you sitting in a room with me. And in real time, we're going over this aspect of what you do and you're asking me questions. And as you ask me questions, your peers are hearing you ask that same question and then you can help each other. And so how do we make those moments happen and give you that? This is for you. And I even had one leader say, turn on your camera when we're having a meeting. Because it's not like I want to I want to know what you're doing. I just want to see your face. I want to engage with you. I want to know that you are part of this conversation. I don't know that if your camera is not on. So it wasn't like, I want to turn your camera on because I want to be sure you're paying attention. That wasn't it at all. It makes you part of this conversation around this important element of our work that otherwise, I don't know if you're engaged. And so these are the kind of conversations we need to be having ultimately will end up benefiting everybody. I feel like I'm guilty of that. You know, I don't want to ever have the camera on. But when you present it in that way, I'm like, ah, okay, that is valid because I want to collaborate. You can't collaborate very well if you can't see me. You know, it's like a little bit harder to have that genuine, creative, collaborative interaction when everyone's kind of hiding behind the screen cover. So And that doesn't mean every meeting, right? And that's part of the conversation, right? Like, well, if we're in a meeting with 50 people, no. But if we're in a meeting with four of us and we're going over a particular type, you know, it's nice to have your face in that conversation. So yeah, it's that kind of discussion that we need to be having. Given the range of your clients, what is an impactful or challenging project where you reimagined work strategies and it led to significant organizational change? Oh my gosh. I there are so many stories, both big and small, that it's why I keep doing what I'm doing. Okay, so you can tell I love what I do. Okay. Like I love it. In fact, I warn people I can talk to you about this for hours. That's how much I love it. And I won't. However, the reason I love it is because when that moment happens, that reimagining happens and people start to think about the possibilities and they start to see how this can work for not only people, but the business. And they start to innovate and they start to think about when they could be together in person and why that matters and when they're going to make sure they're available to each other and and when they could have core hours, when they can work independently, how how they can use the technology they already have. When all starts to come together, I love that moment so much. I call it the spark. Uh Little stories like the leader who said to me in one organization where they used to actually make them clock in and clock out. Okay, these are professional people. (laughs) And he said, after we executed our flexible work strategy, he said, I now have the freedom if I want to, to take a slightly longer path to work in my bike. And he said, those days that are just particularly beautiful and I get to take that longer route that's about 15 minutes longer. He said, it just makes my day. And I am just even more engaged and happy when I show up here. That is a 15 minute bike ride. Okay, when I tell you the amount of tiny things that mean so much to people, that to me, you magnify that across a you know 1500 person workforce, that matters, that really matters. So that would be an example of tiny. 
Okay, so a bigger change would be an organization where there were about 100 investigators in this utility were deployed when there was an incident. And traditionally, they had all the junior investigators on site every day, unless they got deployed from New York City out into the regions. And the leader of this department, this one department we were working with, she said, this has to apply to everybody. This can't just apply to the senior people. This Everybody has to have the, the ability to think this through. And so the senior leadership of this investigator group was worried that they would lose the ability to, to transfer knowledge to these younger investigators if they weren't on site. And so we started talking about it. And this one junior investigator raises his hand and says, you know, I wonder if instead of just I'm here and I'm asking one-on-one -on -one this question, what if I put it out on an email chain to all of the senior investigators that, and I said, here's my question. And then that went to all of you. And then you could answer the question in the email chain so that all the junior investigators could benefit from what you just said. Then we could archive that in like a platform somewhere where we could, a searchable database where we could search if we had a question and you would just see the sparks going on. It's like nobody had ever thought about that before. And what that did is it gave them the ability to work a couple days a week remotely. And then what happened was they realized these people were usually in a location closer to where an incident would happen. So they kept track of where people were working remotely on those days. And then they deployed them based on their remote location for that day. So in other words, they got to the sites of these incidents faster because people were closer. So it's that kind of innovation and problem solving and creativity that, yeah, that investigator who didn't have to come into the city and work remotely, they benefited because they didn't have to commute and they probably could go to the gym and they could probably maybe walk their kid to school and, you know, all the things that mattered to them. But even more importantly, now you have like a whole knowledge sharing system that has been put in place that nobody would have thought about before. And you now have a faster response time to incidents. It's a win. Yeah, that's efficiency at its best. <laughs> right? But unless you're thinking about it, about what we need to do and where, when, and how do we do that best collectively, you're not going to come up with that outcome. Again, I, I can tell you a million stories, both small and large, but point is, it's just so powerful, but it takes leadership and a willingness to engage in that process, that process of thinking it through and coming up with an approach, experimenting with it, learning what worked, learning what didn't, and continuing to evolve from there. Do you think leaders of companies, because you're in such a prime position to be able to observe, are becoming more open-minded? Right now, I think we're still what we talked about earlier, which is I just, I, this is what I attribute it to. I think there's just a lot of change happening, okay? And I think there's just this desire to just have this dealt with. Can we please just put this to bed and just everybody come in three days a week and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. Unfortunately, that isn't solving the problem. And I do think there's going to have to be a sort of awakening on the part of senior level leaders to say, this isn't getting us where we want to go. And we do have to take a different approach. The problem is a lot of this still rests with HR. And I think that is just not who can make this happen. Like they are the talent people. They have they are the ones that has to say to the business, we need to do this to be able to attract and retain people. Like I don't know what else to tell you. 
But then the business needs to engage in this process of reimagining the flexible operating model that will support the flexibility that people want. And that's what's missing right now. You can't have a talent strategy that offers flexibility and then over here not have the model defined <laughs> within which these people are going to work flexibly. And that's unfortunately what is not happening. So again, I think we're going to get to a point where the awareness will ultimately begin to emerge and evolve and there will be an openness to, to taking the next step. I think that disconnect, they, they have to work in hand in hand, but in a like organized, you know, systematic way. So it is, it's a system of change. It's, it's a real fundamental stepping back and saying, again, based on the work we do and what we want to try to achieve, how, when, and where do we do that best and involving your people and figuring that out and understanding even within your own organization, one size is not going to fit all. It's not. And what does that look like? I personally think it is very cool to imagine that your people are going to create with you what your flexible future is going to look like and have ownership of that. You know, you see all these awful engagement numbers and being really pessimistic about the future of your company and feeling bad. Why would you not want to just throw that out there and say, okay, engage with me. Let's make this happen. What does that look like? I love that. I think that's your future employees. You know, it seems like the one generation, people never change jobs. They had the job basically their entire career at the same company. And then we got to that point, like it seemed extreme opposite where people are changing companies every year to three years. So I think to your point, it's like they'll listen to all the information and work with each other that they maybe will go back to like a happy medium of loyalty and staying with a company because you allowed them to share and invest in, you know, how that company is going to evolve and change. Yep. And how you can then have the flexibility within that model to reset, do what you need to do throughout your career versus feeling like, oh, I have to work differently. I have to leave. I mean, that's not true. Yeah. And, you know, I'll throw another interesting thing in here, Kimberly, which I don't think we talk about enough, which is the emergence of the freelance community. I mean, there is a crazy growing number of people because they they don't feel like they're getting the flexibility and autonomy they want and they're working for somebody else that are moving over into the freelance economy. I actually just found new data from Upwork and they estimated 64 million Americans participated in the freelance economy last year. And their estimate is that 52% of all Gen Z professionals and 44% of all millennial professionals participated in the freelance economy. So it's not even like employers are competing against other employers. They're actually competing against this whole other way people can choose to work if they can't get the flexibility that they want working for somebody else and, you know, make a pretty good living. And now this is where I think there's an opportunity, right? You're an organization and you decide to execute a really well thought through flexible work model. You can go to these freelancers and say, hey, why don't you come on over here where you can work for me? I will give you a paycheck. I will give you health insurance. I will give you a 401k. I will give you career development. I will give you all these things. And I'm giving you the flexibility and the autonomy. Now it's within a structure that we've all set, makes sense for the job, but hey, how about that? And you know what? I think you're gonna find some people who find that pretty appealing. There's a lot of reasons to do this, but I still think we're operating 
unfortunately still from this belief that the traditional model is somehow still valid and it's just not. And so until there's a recognition, it's over. Now we need to take the best of what we learned over the last four years, but add back and deal with what's missing to create the next thing together. I had mentioned that you had a book called Tweak It, Make What Matters to You Happen Every Day. Can you please share with people like some of your favorite advice, I'll say, highlights from your book? So first of all, I'll tell you why I wrote the book. People are always really fascinated. Like, how'd you, why'd you write a book for people to tweak it? And then the first book I wrote was Workless Life, Finding the Fit That's Right for You. That came out 20 years ago, Kimberly. It is the 20th anniversary of Workless Life, Finding the Fit That's Right for You. Oh, wow. But why I wrote those books is because we would go into an organization, we'd execute a flexible work strategy, which at the time was mostly just like a policy that the organization said you could, you know, change how you work. And I'd see people sitting there and not knowing what to do with it. And I'm like, okay, now it's up to you. Now you need to reach out and grab it and now figure out how this is going to help you fit your work and life together. And I thought, okay, there's got to be somebody who's written about this somewhere. Like there's got to be a skill set for people to know how to now play their part in making inflexible work success, right? Couldn't find it, couldn't find it. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to write it based upon what I've learned in these organizations. So Tweak It came about because I did the first book was the reset. That's like, I want to formally reset the way my work and life is fit, fitting together flexibly. And that's like, come up with an official plan. And what does that look like? And I go out, promote that book. And people are like, oh, that's so great. You know what? I can't even walk my dog. Like, I can't even get a haircut. And this is when more and more day-to-day -day flexibility was already emerging. I mean, before COVID, our study showed, we did our study in like 2017 and 2015 and 2013, and already 97, 98% of full-time workers said they had some degree of flexibility. Okay, so it was already happening before COVID. My sense was, if it's happening, use it, find it. Even if it's the smallest thing, use that flexibility to go to yoga class too, you know, walk your dog to get a haircut, see your friend, you know, go to the gym, like all the things people were telling me were not happening. Get a good night's sleep, work from home to do a report so you weren't distracted. So I studied these people I called the work-life fit naturals. I'd meet these folks in organizations and they always were the people who came up to me and were like, I don't understand why you're here and why this is so hard. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what you people do, but I'm going to study it because most of us over here, including myself, have no idea how you're doing this. And so I studied their secrets and they turn out to be super simple. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a high level, okay? So basically they break everything down into very small little active actions and priorities. So if you wanna go to the gym, let's say, they break it down into, okay, I'm gonna go to the gym for one hour on this day at this time and they put it on their calendar. Calendar is super important. And if they want to see their friend, they know their friend is coming into town. So they put that on their calendar because they're going to go out with their friend. And they just are very specific about what they're going to do. And then they figure out not just when they're doing it, but how they're doing it and where they're doing it and with whom they need to coordinate to make sure that whole thing happens. Okay, And they do it very intuitively. Kind of were mystified that I didn't know that. So then what they do is, and this is a practice they do every week. Like most of them are very regular about how they think this through. And one of my favorite things I learned from them was they celebrate success. So if they put, let's say, 15 small, meaningful things on their calendar and plan it, but they only do 10, me, I'd focus on the five that didn't happen and be like, well, forget it. You know what? It doesn't matter. They're just like, why would you do that? They're like, 
celebrate the 10 and then try again with the five. And then you keep going and you keep going. And they're like, well, over time, you'll get all the things that matter to you done. And I'm like, well, yeah. Like I just, light bulb moments are like, that makes a hundred percent of sense. So the thing that is really important now more than ever is now that we do have even a greater degree of flexibility in how and where we're working, even people who have to come in the office three days a week, okay, in like a, you know, forced mandate, you still have flexibility now, those two days that you are not coming in. What do you want to do on those days? Be intentional about it. Be really thoughtful about it. The organization is asking, what do we need to do and how and where do we do it best? You need to be asking, what do I need to do and how and where do I do it best within that structure? So that's what the books are for. They're basically the handbook for the individual to capture whatever flexibility that is available to them in order to then intentionally reset their work and life when they have sort of more big moments of transition. And then just day to day, how to make what matters to you happen in that flexible, dynamic way so that you're best on and off and off the job. That's what that skill set is. It's your flexible work-life fit, which is uniquely yours. It's how to do that. That's totally kick-ass that you saw that there were no books that existed and you're like, I'm going to write them, first (laughs) of all. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And second of all, like I think that's really life-changing that you gave people that gift through the books of, okay, what are you going to do with that time? Like recognize that you do have that time, even if it's not every day of the week like you hoped until that happens. Take advantage of those days you do have and how are you going to use them? That's like so thoughtful and empowering for you to do. And that's where I've seen a lot of the small but really meaningful things that people have been able to do is once they are thinking through and being intentional about how to use whatever flexibility they have in the way they work, they really can make a big change in their life. And even just at the job, like you're more thoughtful about what you're doing, where you're doing it, when you're doing it. So even your work is more effective. You know, you've given great advice through throughout the whole interview, but do you have a piece of advice specifically that as you've worked with the business leaders and the employees that you could share, that would be a gem? I will give you the one piece of advice I give every leader. You got to start asking a new question. Question cannot be, how do we get people back into the office? That's not the question. The question you should be asking over and over and over again is what do we need to do? And then how, when, and where do we do that best? And from that question will emerge the parameters within which your people will operate most effectively across workplaces, spaces, and time. And it will then also prompt individuals to be able to ask that question of themselves. What do I need to do? How, when, and where do I do it best? And from that, you will perform at a high level across those different dimensions. That's what I would say. It's just you have to start asking a different question and empowering your people to answer it. Well, it's very thoughtful. So leaders and workforce who listen to this interview, I hope you will both take into consideration that main question and the sub questions that go with that that Kelly suggests, because I think it could be the start of something pretty amazing and change in your business. Kelly, you are just incredible. I have had the best time having you on the show. Thank you, Kimberly. I loved your questions. They are really, really good. So good. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. I really appreciate that.
you shared a ton of vast knowledge with us today, and I cannot wait for, you know, to share more about you. If you want to learn more about Kelly, please go to her IG page at Kelly Williams Yost or visit her company's website, www.flexstrategygroup.com. These details are also going to be in the Gal in the Go Unplugged show notes. Until next time, remember, be curious, be kind, and be bold.